Hello and welcome to the Essendon People Podcast, an unofficial Essendon Football Club supporter podcast. Hosted by Brendan and Mark, Essendon People is a podcast for those who live and breathe Aussie rules and the Mighty Bombers. From the casual fan to the hardcore supporter, if you have the red and black in your heart, then Essendon People is the podcast for you. Thank you for joining us. Let's Let's start start the pod. pod. against GWS in our round 24 preview of the game coming up against Collingwood for the final game of the season. So, Brendan, we finally put together a four-quarter effort. It wasn't the four-quarter effort that we asked for, but it was a four-quarter consistent non-effort. Yeah, trust trust Essendon to put out a four-quarter performance where you just get belted from pillar to post. Um, actually looking forward to getting this podcast over and done with because I can't think of anything that deserves less time and attention in the Essendon Football Club at the moment. So the quicker we get this done, we can be like the players and not give a shit and then just get off to holidays. It is hard to get motivated for it. We obviously love doing the podcast. and It's been a few years now that nearing 100 episodes and, and we get a real kick out of it and it's good to catch up. But it does get hard to do it when the thing that you – enjoy and enjoy talking about it just becomes unenjoyable um, as a result of the effort that's put in and I, the thing that really I guess hurts on a supporter level is I got sucked in again this year I got sucked in for the first half of the year thinking we're we're on the up here we you can definitely see improvement you can definitely see some different game style you can there's something different about the club that it's there's something different about the culture there's a way we're playing and all that after the bye, we were probably worse than we were last year. And I, you, you cannot trust this football club. You cannot trust this team. They they will hurt you every single year. They will take it from you. I I got sucked in as well. I didn't think we were going to be any good or we changed the culture or anything like that. But I thought that we had put things in place structurally that would prevent us getting belted for four quarters like we did. Like it happens this time. We've got done in games like against Geelong twice where we've got belted for a quarter. But they've managed to once that quarter comes, they can resurrect it and, you know, and at least play the next three quarters, you know, at a decent level. Uh, but yeah, just on the weekend, I don't know, maybe it was the trip up to GWS. Uh, I I don't know, maybe something in the water, but it's just yeah, it was horrible. I, I think that's the thing. There are no excuses. There's there's no the only other club I can think out there that's, that's copped repeated beltings like this is West Coast. And we, we're going to go through the stats, obviously, surely. But, like, we are definitely a bottom three side for since since the bye, since after the bye. Minus one or two outliers. You know, I think we played pretty good against Adelaide for half a game. And, you know, there's a few games that we've won in there. But take away a couple of those. And then basically for half a season, we're a genuine bottom three side. It's, that's the reality of it. So it's... um. Yeah, as you said, it's hard to come up with excuses for repeated non-efforts because there are none anymore. I think we're it's proven that the list is not balanced and the people that we have playing are just soft, I guess, is, is what it is. Just, there's no heart there. There's no desire. There couldn't have been more on the line. We win that game. I think we actually would have ended up either just outside the eight or in the eight. And I'm not saying we would have and we weren't going to do anything in finals anyway. So it's not, it's not the be-all and end-all, but... What I'm suggesting here is there was actually something to play for. It's not like it's not like it was just a dead rubber kind of thing. Like you know, it was us and them kind of playing off for for 
a chance to stay alive for another week and we didn't even fire a shot, which is the most disappointing thing. If we go down by, you know, I think we tipped last week 30 or 40 points each. If you go down by that and you're just a goal or goal and a half worse a quarter side, you can kind of cop that, you know, you're just not good enough and away from home experience side, all those sort of excuses that I guess keep getting thrown out. But it wasn't that. It was complete, just genuine non-effort. Yeah, uh... <laughs> I don't, I'm off the players. I don't care. So let's just move on. <laughs> All right. So we haven't even, we're four minutes in and we haven't even got to the, uh, to the score line, <laughs> but I think you can gather what it is. So it was GWS 25 12, 162 to Essendon 5 6 36. So that is a demolition in the order of 126 points or 21 goals, uh, if you prefer. So lead us into some context as to where that sits in, in the club's uh, history. So in 151 years, it's the fifth biggest loss Essendon's had. So the former fifth, which has now been pushed down to sixth, was against Geelong in Geelong in 1934. It's almost 100 years. That's as bad as we've been. And the fourth biggest loss was 130 points. So just a goal short was against Adelaide in 2006. And we finished second last on the ladder. So it talks just about being a bottom three side. That's where we were that year, and that was around 10. So <laughs> I guess, you know, you got to think back a little bit. But, yeah, it's been, been pretty horrible. And then for GWS there, that's the highest ever score. That's their biggest ever win, and it's the first time in the club's history they've kicked 25 goals. Right. So all round is just... Amazing, amazing performances. And since around 14, mate, talk about the second half of the year. We've only won 12 quarters for the entire second half of the year. Only North and West Coast, who are the bottom two sides, have won fewer in that time. And we talked last week in the podcast that we beat West Coast to statistically the worst side since Fitzroy by one point. And we've lost to North Melbourne, who've won three of the last wooden spoons by nine points. So that's just some context of where we're at at the moment. And the reasons for that, we've had, you know, substantial injuries to key players in the second half of the year. And, you know, I'm not too disappointed with some of the losses. They're understandable. But there's no – you can't understand to lose by 126 points. There's no reason why that happens. Uh, there's no structural thing or they're just better. No side's 126 points better than you. Right? Uh, it's – Yeah. Quarter by quarter, yeah. Quarter by quarter. So, GWS obviously jumped out of the block. Seven goals, three, 45 to Essendon, one goal, six. So, we trailed by 39 points at um, at quarter time. And we really never looked likely, I guess. We, we really lacked. Um, we, we've written here that we average 101.9 marks a game, number one in the competition. It's, I think it's pretty well known that we sort of uh, play a possession brand of football and that's kind of um, the way that Scott's trying to get us to play. We took 14 marks in the first quarter and only two of those were forward side of the ground, past halfway of the ground in, the, in, the, in our forward half. So in half an hour of football, we managed 14 marks. It's just, it's um, yeah, our, our game style was completely taken away from us uh, by them. And I think the players failed to recognise that and failed to adapt and failed to have the want to do anything about it. They kicked 7-3-45 from 10 scoring shots in the first quarter. 
We kicked 5-6-36 from 11 scoring shots for the game. They did more damage in the first quarter that we could manage across four. Second quarter. Second second quarter. So second quarter um, was a little bit better from us. We kicked one goal, one seven. So we had two scoring shots instead of the one. They kicked six, two, 38. So we we, uh, lost that quarter by 31 as opposed to 39 in the first quarter. But nonetheless, we went in at halftime, 70 points down. And in all seriousness, after being, you know, seven goals down in the first quarter, I kind of expected that, yeah, we're not going to, we're not going to be in it at halftime, but let's just not be any further away than we are. Let's do maybe what we did in the Geelong game and just come out and, and at least equalise and neutralise the, the contest. So I was kind of hoping, hey, halftime, you know, we're six and a half goals down. Let's go in six goals down at halftime. Um, but instead, we went in nearly 12 goals down. GWS kicked 13-5-83 from 18 scoring shots in the half. Both GWS and Essendon have had wins this year with less score on the ball than that. <laughs> and they did that in a half. And it was just, it was only a taste of things to come, <laughs> really. <laughs> Third quarter, eight scoring shots to five. They, so you think, oh, okay, we're getting back in there. We kicked two goals, three, they kicked seven, one. <laughs> so they won the quarter by five goals. Uh, and then last final quarter, you think they haven't had enough? A further 11 scoring shots, 5-6-36. To our one goal, two behinds, eight. So in a half of football, we've kicked 23 points from eight scoring shots, and they've kicked 79 points from 19 scoring shots. And watch it like what I'm going to use the term watching it very loosely because I lost the interest pretty early and, and I can't hand on heart say that I sat there and um, intently watched 100% of the game times. I don't think many Essendon supporters would have, but uh, watching the game, in, uh, I still had it on the TV in the last quarter and it, it, it was, it kind of is embarrassing to say, but I was kind of sitting there thinking, they kept reeling off all these records that you mentioned earlier on the commentary, you know, it's GWS's highest score, most goals they've kicked and all that sort of thing. And I was kind of wondering how far they could go. I was like, I wonder, they've still got, you know, six minutes left. They, this could be 140, 150. And I was thinking, you know, maybe Hogan might kick 10, he might kick 12. And I was kind of, I wasn't like desperate for it to stop. I think I was just completely uh, surrendered to the fact that it was happening and um, and just had it on in the background and was just thinking, oh, what, one, I wonder where this is going to end up because I couldn't see us putting up any sort of a fight to at least, keep it under 100 you, you know there's always always this embarrassment when you get to a 100 point margin normally the team sort of you know at least tries to keep it below 100 there seems to be this little unspoken thing that happens but they quickly sailed past 100 and then it was about how far they could go i've been trying to place the feeling that i've had since saturday and it wasn't until you mentioned it then it, i've kind of made the connection in my head I was at the Lacroix 12-goal game where he torched us. And I remember I was there with my dad and I remember the whole Essendon supporter base we were around with. We had surrendered to the feeling of the loss. We had surrendered to the belting, right? And we it was, it was happening. There was nothing we could do. And we were getting perverse enjoyment out of, oh, how many goals can Lacroix kick? Can he kick 10? Can he kick 12? Yeah. Oh, he's kicked 12. Oh, can he get 13? And we were actually 
it kind of was like an out of body experience. Like it's almost like we you know when you go to a game with a mate that you, for a non essendant game, you go there, you make barracks for whoever they, are, you go along, and you sit there, and you kind of you you're invested in the game enough because you you want your friend's team to go well, but you're also you're an outsider. You don't barrack for either side, and you kind of have this odd distance and perspective of the game and the call you a disconnect. And that's what it felt like. It was like a disconnect. It was like what's what's going on here? I just I don't I don't know what's going on. I know what's going on, but I, I can't understand it. Like the old I see it but I don't believe it. Thanks to Hutto. It was kind of like that. It was kind of like, how can this happen again? After everything we've been through, for this to happen again. Uh, this is like this is a, this is probably about the biggest belting we've had probably since this song last year when Port Adelaide got a hold of us and they sacked the coach and ripped the heart out of the club. But really, it's since that Bulldogs game where they kicked 20 goals in a row, <laughs> that's kind of like as bad as this loss has been. Conversely, this was this is statistically a worse loss than what that game was. We got belted by more in this game on the weekend than what we got in that Bulldogs game. Amazing. That says a lot that this game is a worse loss than a game where you conceded 21 goals straight <laughs> before you uh, managed your own. I think the the way to describe your feeling there is uh, the word that comes to mind is you were indifferent. It, it didn't phase you. I, I think that that's the point where you were at. And, and, and that sort of sums it up, I guess, for, for how we were feeling. Um, I suppose we should probably go through some stats just quickly to highlight before we move on from this game. And, put it in the time capsule, uh, never to be spoken of again. So they obviously killed us everywhere. So 245 kicks to our 159. Disposals overall, 431 to 314, more than, you know, well over 100 more disposals than what we had. Contested possession, they had plus 41 contested possessions. Uncontested possessions, they had plus 76. Uh, effective disposals had nearly 100 more effective disposals than we did. Um the marks we've already highlighted. We only managed 60 marks for the game. We not, we averaged normally about 110, which is ironically around about the number that they got. They got 108. Marks inside 50, they had 19. So they had 19 times that they marked that you've got a genuine chance on having having a shot on goal with, you know, a, a, a chance for a breather. We only managed seven marks inside 50. So some really lopsided things there, which just point to effort and uh, application. Yeah, so the previous season low for Marks this year was 69, and we bested that. <laughs> we actually did worse. 62 tackles, right, and 36 one percenters. It, that's nowhere near enough for a side that gets belted by 21 goals. Right, got beaten in the in the clearances and the hitouts, but I think that the most damning stat is obviously forward of centre. 41 inside 50s to GWS is 70. 70 inside 50s they had. They had 157 score involvements. We had 46. Three times the amount. They had 37 scoring shots to our 11. And of those 11, we only converted a 45%, which has been the bugbear of this podcast has been conversion in front of goal, right? And we converted a 45%. And it's just... I'm not. Sh- I'm not shocked, nor am I surprised. <laughs> uh, I think just to touch on back before, as you were saying, sort of how you're feeling about the game. I think this game, we're obviously almost speaking about this in a 
in a joking nature because it's just it's beyond belief almost that, that, it, that it occurred. But I think it's because the, you don't know anyone that barracks for GWS. You don't see people around. I think this would have hurt a lot more if it was, you know, a, a Carlton, a Collingwood, a Hawthorne, um, any of those sort of clubs, um, you know, even if it, St Kilda happened to get hold of you or something like that, like everyone knows a fan from, from one of those clubs or an Adelaide or something, like no one knows a Gold Coast or a GWS fan. So I think I think that that's why this, this became a little bit easier to accept and just tune out from because there wasn't that outside noise um, and it was just what was happening in front of you. So um, I guess let's go through a, a couple of items here. I think Brad Scott may have mentioned this in his press conference, not, not that I... Uh, bothered to spend the time listening to it, but um, players coming back from injury, and I think he acknowledged he maybe made some selection um, errors. So Jai Caldwell had the 18 disposals, five marks, kicked a goal. Jake Stringer, he did start as the sub. He came on very early, though, because Guelphie went off with a hamstring. He only managed 11 disposals, three marks, one behind. He played 57% of the game time, so... That was a huge risk. They obviously knew that they couldn't play him the whole game. He looked lame when he was running. He didn't. He didn't look like he was running freely. Not that he, you know, ever really has in his career. But he he does have those moments of explosiveness, and that never appeared on the weekend. Sam Draper, seven disposals, one mark, one behind, fifteen hitouts, sixty-two percent game time. We've got a fit Nick Bryan, you know, sitting there who's been tactically pretty good uh, around the ground with his ruck craft. So. I guess we we did the exact thing that all the club and coaches came out in the start of the year and said that we wouldn't do. We wouldn't take people into games unless they could contribute 100%. And we took at least two players in there that were definitely not 100% in Stringer and Draper. And if you're going to go, okay, this is our chance for finals, we're going to take the risk with, you know, Stringer and Draper who are in our top 10 players, you go, okay, We'll take the risk. Well, why not take the risk with Setterfield, who's been, you know, played at least two games in the VFL, right? Three if you count the bye, right? It just didn't, just doesn't make sense, right? And then surely Stringer at least, at the very least, doesn't play this week. And there's no point playing Draper if he, if he's going to injure himself again or re-aggravate whatever he's got. Finals are now over. Bench him for. Pre-season. Neither of those players train today. That, well, that, that says it all, really. Um, good, bad and ugly. We'll get through the good fairly quickly. There's only, there's only one point I really want to make here is Kyle Langford. Had nine disposals, five marks, zero tackles, which is not a surprise given the poor performance overall, but two goals. And I think it's important, the two goals, because that takes his goal tally to 50. So that's his career high for goals and career high for marks inside 50 this year. So I think six weeks ago, we we're all talking about him being a smoky for an All-Australian. I doubt that happens now. I still think he's had a season that you should be recognised for maybe a selection in the All-Australian squad. But I guess the performance of the side has really let him down. Often those guys who don't get in the team being in the squad it's more of a recognition of a, you know, the team helps you. But, yeah, I think our poor performances in the past month, the six weeks, have really hurt his chances, despite him personally playing some pretty good footy. Yeah, yeah. We'll move on to the bads. There's a bit to get through here. We couldn't stop the GWS stars uh, through the whole ground, forward, middle and back. So, Jesse Hogan, we mentioned kicked nine goals, one career high 
goals for him. So um, only Jeremy Cameron has kicked more goals in a game playing for the Giants when he kicked 9-5 against the Suns in 2019. So just not to take anything away from Jesse Hogan, but I I would highly doubt that he would have a, another nine-goal one game against the side again in, in the near future. These are his stats for the game. And I I reckon you would need to trawl the record books to find a key forward that's had as big a game as this. He's had a huge game. He's had 24 touches. He's taken 17 marks. He's kicked nine goals, one, and he's had 16 score involvements. That's a huge game. That's like all-time record-type game. Key forward to have 24 disposals is huge. And 17 marks, like, we're not talking about the days of the 80s and the 90s when Stewie Lowe, you know, and, you know, Paul Vanderhaar. This is modern football where they clog up the lane and it's impossible to for any key forward to get any space to take anything, right? And he's kicked nine goals. One, people carry on like you're the second coming if you kick five goals. Well, he's kicked nine one. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. And then talk about another bloke that's had a career high, Tom Green. 39 disposals, six marks, 10 clearances, 11 score involvements, and also had a sausage roll himself. Career high in disposals. So you've got your midfield, your prime midfielder getting 39. You've got your key forward getting 24 and kicking nine. And then you've got your defender, your best defender, 30 disposals, eight marks, nine intercepts, eight rebound 50s, and kicks a goal. When does a centre half back get thirty touches? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I now that you mentioned it, I definitely can't too many, remember too many games where a centre half back's got thirty touches. Uh, you'd have to go back to the um, the Joel Bowden days of the kick in. Oh, to... The Joel Bowden days. That's, that's another time we got screwed over by the uh, anyway. All right, and then the young mids for them had impact as well. Kieran Briggs, fifteen disposals, hit twenty two hitouts. Lockie Ash, twenty five disposals, four marks, a goal. Harry Perryman, twenty four disposals, five marks, seven tackles, eight score involvements. And then we had our own, you know, top five players in in our team that struggled really badly. Peter Wright, who's been severely out of form, I think he he had sort of that one big game where he came back um, from the injury, and I think he kicked four or five, and everyone was like, "Gee, he's gonna he's gonna mow down Langford here for the leading wow. goal kicker." And since then, he's really struggled. On the weekend, he had five disposals, one mark, no tackles. I, I guess it was hard. Obviously, he wasn't getting a lot of supply, but like. You've got to put yourself into situations, get up the ground, throw yourself into the ruck, do something, get get amongst it. I guess it just it seems down on confidence. Nick Martin, who's been a revelation for us the last couple of years and had a career best year this year, again, 15 disposals, didn't manage a mark, didn't manage a tackle, only had the one inside 50 and only the one clearance and five clangers, which is pretty un- unlike Martin. And I think that probably points to a lack of support uh, around him too. He's he's a sort of player who would probably, you know, young, less experienced player, relies on the team lifting around him. You know, he's not, not a sort of player like a Zach Merritt or something that's going to be able to put people on his shoulders. Yeah, and the GWS senior midfielders really exposes Caniglio 31, Ward 30, Whitfield 30, Kelly 30. Just massive numbers there, massive numbers in terms of, Inside 50s, 9, 7, score involvements, 10, 10, 11. It's just, yeah, they just had a field day with us. On to the uglies. I think you mentioned it earlier there with the sub. Guelphie, he's pinged the hammy. 
right? Only managed to get a kick, one solitary kick before that. Um, obviously, not great for him. Bike finished top three in our best and fairest last year, and he's had a rough run with injury. But yeah, well, he won't be playing next week. But I don't think it's really going to make much of a difference. And then tackles there. At four, we talked mentioned earlier about it being a critically low number. Four players with one tackle. Stringer, Redmond, Kelly, Cox. Three of those four are key players and players you consider leaders of the club. I don't know how you can be calling yourself a leader if you're getting one tackle. And then we mentioned these guys here. Langford, Wright and Martin all got zero tackles. Didn't record a single tackle. And, you know, Langford and Wright, you might say, okay, you're key forwards. It's not really basic. Martin's in the midfield there. Okay, he's had a dirty day, but, you know, Martin played 80%. Wright played 90%. Langford played 97% game time. If you're not impacting with in terms of getting the ball and hitting the scoreboard and doing all the things you normally do, you can impact with your effort, and that's tackling. There's definitely – it was – you could tell from the start of the game, it was very bruise-free. There was a, a lack of desire to, to have physical contact and, and to absorb any contact. There's definitely some players in our team that sleep with a light on. That's that's the only way I can say it. And there's also some people like, oh, we're not going to go into names, obviously, but there's some players that need to assert themselves physically as well. They need to get in the gym over the preseason. There's, there's no good, you know, being a super skilled player, but looking like a poster boy for a World Vision commercial like you need to you need to assert your physical presence and and you know lay a tackle and and push someone aside even if it's going to give away a free kick you need to get yourself involved it's not just physically doing it it's mentally having the mindset is i'm going to be aggressive i'm not i'm not going to be the guy that gets bullied and thrown around i'm going to be the bully i'm going to come in there i'm going to lay the big tackle i'm going to knock someone over like we talk about how many times you talked about not having someone to come in there and knock a guy over, right? And the times have changed, but I think we all really got around Lloydie last year when we're talking about the Dylan Shield, Luke Parker thing, where Lloydie said, if that was me, I wouldn't stand for this and I'd knock him over. And I don't care what suspension I got. I don't care what happened to me. You need to set a standard, right? And we applauded that, right? And we just have, you know, this is probably being merits. First failure as captain in that he didn't do anything or couldn't get around the boys to lift them to say, hang on a minute, yeah, okay, we're getting beat. We can at least apply pressure. You know, it's you know, it's not all on him because he's only one man. He he does he's done a power of work throughout the season and he's had a bloody good year and he should win the best and fairest again. But geez, I would just love for someone to just throw their weight around, right? And really set the standard for the guys and say, look. I'm going to miss next week, but this is not good enough. This is a lesson that you carry in the preseason. When you see me sitting on the sidelines next week, this is why. And you go out there and you lay a massive bump or you bring have a tackle, you take down the opposition's best player, you do something. And, and as you said, Merritt, he needs the support of the other leaders around him. So we listed Stringer, Redmond and Kelly that all only have one tackle for the game. But we're, to- we're talking about, obviously we've, we've talked about their standing up for yourself and stuff, but with the one tackle, we're talking about a legal action that you can you can legally assert some physicality and some presence in the game, and those players that are, are literally leaders and some of them in, in leadership groups and things like that are, are not doing that. Parish had seven. Parish had seven tackles for the game. Right, he's had more tackles than seven blokes by himself. <laughs> right, come on. 
quickly roll through our votes. So I gave I gave my five votes. The, the votes were really hard, straight off the top. No one's going to agree with these votes, no matter what order you do them in or who you picked out of the twenty-two that played. And we've got to give five votes to someone. I gave five to Hind. I just thought I thought he was actually having a go at some points, and he was trying to create some run and do some stuff. Then I gave four to Parrish based on his tackle numbers. Really, three to Langford, basically based on the fact that if you kick two goals in a side that's only kicked five, you you're holding up your end of the bargain. Couple to merit. He had the weight on his shoulders, and he he did bounce back after a bit of a slow start and tried to get himself involved and at least did something. And then Hobbsy as well, um, motored on and and you know laid some tackles and and done some small things as well. So that was my votes. I gave Parish the five again, seven tackles. Hind, I thought, like you said, had a crack, especially early. Uh, Langford, you know, lone hand up forward. We got my three. Hobbsy had seven tackles as well. Got my two, and merit. Got the one. Like you like said, really hard to give votes. You could have given votes to anyone and he could have given votes to no one. <laughs> Let's take a break and come back with a bit of club news. So, Brendan, a bit of positive news uh, today off the back of obviously a pretty embarrassing loss on, on the weekend is Dyson Hempel. Uh, re-signed for another year. So 31 years of age, obviously um, captain um, previous to this year for a long time, played 234 games. And this year he's played 21 games at an average of 20 disposals, 82% efficiency, seven marks, 2.3 tackles, an inside 50 and uh, 4.5 intercepts. Really stepped up when Ridley went down as well, I feel like. Um, And has a lot of knockers. And I'm not sure why, because I think he's had a really good year. And um, I think the the contract extension for another year, I think, is deserving. And it, and it looks like something that, you know, the club probably gave him the option and, and said, you, you're welcome to stay another year or if you want to call it, we can call it. And um, he decided to go around again. Yeah, I certainly think the start of the year, there's a couple of games there where it looked like he was struggling. But he turned the corner pretty quickly and he's um, he played the majority of the year pretty well. I think one count last week because I don't think anyone really played well last week. But I guess the things that really stood out for me, to, to average 20 marks, 20 disposals, seven marks, and of those disposals, he went at 82% for the year. That's some pretty good stuff. There's been a lot a lot of our boys have, have butchered the ball coming out of the back half this year. It's really cut us up, repeat turnovers, opposition gets – so it's, it's hurt us. But he hasn't been one of them um, generally. So it's good to see him get another year. Um, 234 games, what's that? Another 16 games at 250. You know, I think he's, if you've looked at his career in entirety, you think 250, that's a good amount of games for the career that he's had. And I hope that we do what we can to get him there. But he's got to also earn those games as well. Uh, he shouldn't be getting guaranteed games to get the 250, you should be putting the performance in. And then if you need to get one or two over the line, I'm happy to give you one or two for the service you've given, but not 16. But, yeah, happy to be signed and um, onwards and upwards for 2024 because we can't really go much lower at the moment. Yeah, so as you said, it'll be if he plays this week, obviously, um, he'll need 15 games next year to get to 250. And, and as you said, hopefully next year is about playing the the best players and I mean you kind of hope that players of that age are starting to be um, you know have pressure put on them uh, by younger players coming through but 
if he can get, you know, 10 games off the bat off, off of good form early in the year, then he's only got sort of five to go. Um, we can probably nurse him through those. So, um, yeah, it would be good personal achievement for someone who's long suffered, I guess, as a face of Essendon for a long time through a pretty tough period. So um, good on Dice for going another year and hopefully it's a, a, a bit of a fairy tale end for him and gets a bit of success on his way out, um, even if it's simply playing in a final or something like that. Um, VFL ended the year on the weekend on a positive note as well. 15-10-100 to Kogu, 12-13-85. So had a 15-point win, jumped out of the box and um, held a six-goal lead in the first quarter um, and then let uh, Kobu kick kick four in the second quarter and another five in the third quarter to get sort of back into it, um, but managed to hold on, which was good. So uh, AFL listed players, 11 of them played, going by uh, jumping a number order here. Sam Wiedemann had the 23 disposals and nine marks, played in the back line again. So good to see Sam getting some touch of the footy. Um, he was obviously... Much maligned when he form dropped in the in the AFL, but hopefully he's gotten some confidence back now. Will Setterfield, 29 disposals, four marks, kicked the goal. James Stewart is the big one. He came back from a, a week or two off there with a little injury niggle, and he had nine disposals and four marks, which might not sound uh, fantastic on paper, but he kicked five goals, one. So um, maybe he's the answer. He might be putting some selection pressure on Peter Wright at the moment uh, with the way things are going. Uh, Lewis Hayes, 13 disposals, four marks. He's had, he's had a really good first year, so I think um, we can forgive him for for uh, tailing off a little bit with his numbers uh, towards the back end of the year. Still only 18 years old, so um, a, a lot of footy left ahead of Lewis Hayes and development. Yeah, and then Nick Bryan, what is hopefully his last game of football for Essendon in the VFL. Uh, 23 disposals, seven marks, one goal, 42 hit-outs. Far too good to be... At VFL level. Alistair Lord, 24 touches and two marks. Alwyn Davey, 18 disposals, four marks, two goals. Rhett Montgomery, nine disposals, six marks. Paddy Voss, 14 touches, six marks, two goals, three. Key McBride, six disposals, two marks. And then rounding out the senior players was Tippard with 13, one goal, one, and three tackles. Um Good to see Vossi hit the scoreboard again. Obviously, would like it to be five straight, but I think, you know, at the start of the year, Mark, he was dominating in terms of hitting the scoreboard and couldn't get a game. And they were looking to push him further up the ground to get some more possessions. He's looked like he he managed to get those high possession numbers, but his scoreboarding pack had dropped off. You know, past a little while, looks like he's maybe got the balance rights. Hopefully, coming into next year, he can, you know, get a game because he's doing both scoreboard and possessions. Having said that, if you got James Stewart-style five goals, one from nine disposals every week, you take it. So, I think it's a bit of a lost opportunity that we haven't given him an opportunity uh, during the year as well. We've got one more chance for that, and um, it's kind of be unfortunate if it happened to be against the best side in the comp would be a bit hard on him. But, um, yeah, I feel like he did enough during the year to, to earn a call-up, especially that we were really lacking forwards as well. Peter Wright was out half the year. Sam Wiedemann was out of form. Harry Jones got injured early and, and was gone. Um, and then we had Hunter come across who got injured before being able to even put his hand up as well. So it's not like he had loads of people in front of him. It just seemed like it was, a, I guess, a, a coaching group decision on what they want him to be doing in games, which hopefully 
bears some rewards um, in the future, but I, I still think there's a bit of a lost opportunity there to get some AFL experience into Patrick Voss. Yeah, we also had some uh, NGA and father-son players play on the weekend in the VFL side. So we had Luca Alessio, the son of Steve, had 10 touches, three marks, kicked behind. And Matthew Foley and Carlos Egan, who are NGA players. Foley had 16 disposals, two marks. Egan had nine and had four tackles. Uh, they're all 19 years of age, all eligible to be drafted. It's interesting to see that they all played in the last round of the year. Maybe that's the club wanting to see what they've got, you know, as a prospective uh, option to be a rookie list there. Or So interesting to see what happens with that. So we finished the ladder, uh, finished the year with five wins, uh, 13 losses and a percentage of 81.7. I believe we're 16th out of 22 teams. Obviously had a really stuck, hard start to the year. Uh, and managed to get some wins in that middle to lower patch. So onwards and upwards for the VFL side next year. And um, hope a strong VFL side, Mark, is really, really important. I think we saw in the past couple of years the lack of presence in the VFL really hurt our development in the senior side because the blokes were just getting belted at VFL level every week and couldn't really develop. So having a, a strong, competent VFL side is really important for the AFL side going forward. BFL W had the best and fairest, and Sophie Mullen took that out. Second was Grace Dicker. Third was Bella Clark. Best finals player was awarded to Sophie Mullen as well. Leading goal kicker was Mia Ray Clifford, the co-captain. Best club person was Courtney Eugle, the other co-captain. Don of the year was Courtney Eugle as well. And the best young player was Reese Sutton. So congratulations to uh, all the, the ladies involved there um, on a good year and, and got all the way through to a prelim. Uh, got very close again to, to going back-to-back. Back. It's always tough to do, but um, gave a real real good shake after being, I guess, pretty depleted with the AFLW side, cherry-picking a fair few players and other clubs and other clubs' AFLW sides as well. So they did really well to, to bounce back and um, came home really strong and just fell short. So, yeah, congratulations to the whole team and to the players that picked up awards there as well. Yep, and the AFLW, the coaching panel has been finalised. AFLW is just around the corner. Uh, Aisha Ward is the head of footy. Natalie Wood is the senior coach. Natasha Hardy is coaching the back line. Travis Cloak steps up from VFLW to AFLW. He's going to be coaching the midfield. Peter Searle is coming back to AFLW in a coaching capacity. She's coaching the forwards. And then development is Bernard Shepherd and Gavin Urquhart. Let's take a break and we'll come back to preview the final game of the season. Essendon versus Collingwood, MCG, Friday, 7.50pm, our last game of the year. Um, Somewhat good, Brendan, to get it out of the blocks early, be the first one. Hopefully we can put in a better performance. You've got to bounce back after the the effort that we just put in and playing against, you know, big rival uh, on the big stage. It's our home game. Um, We need to take some form of some sort of pre-season, you know, take something from it. Uh, I I can't get the words out, but we've got to gain something out of the end of the season to, to take forward into the next one. So it's a good opportunity here still at the end of the year. Quickly on the injury list, 
more of the same from from last week. Obviously, Matty Guelphy with his hamstring, it's a low grade from what they said, so a two to three weeks sort of style injury, which is good news considering that he had a quite a um, nasty one earlier in the year. Um, but otherwise, Zach Reed, Massimo D'Ambrosio, Matty Guelphy, Jaden Hunter, Harry Jones, Jordan Ridley, Dylan Shield, Tex Wanganin, and Jaden Davey all obviously unavailable for selection this week. Everyone else is on the table. Um, so with that Collingwood's injury list. Nick Dacos is the, the one that headlines that. He's apparently ahead of schedule, hopefully not ahead of schedule enough to be playing against us, which I wouldn't think so with that knee injury. So uh, he's a big out for them. Um, then it's Charlie Dean, Nathan Kruger. Darcy Moore with that hamstring, he won't play as well. Nathan Murphy got a bit of a back issue as well. So a um, couple of big outs for, for Collingwood, which will no doubt be welcome for us uh, to try and manage them. But they've, they've got a lot of other people to, to look after as well that we're going to keep us busy. Yeah, so we'll just go from the back line there. Maynard, Frampton, Quainall, Howe, Kelly, Markoff. Um, obviously, hard to tell who they bring in as a centre-half back with both Moore and Murphy in. Charlie Vang's obviously a young key defender as well, so he's not there. Will Kelly's a father-son. His father's actually the CEO of Collingwood. He's obviously the brother of Jake at Essendon. He's a key defender. You think he might get a game. Olive Markov, you know, he's done some okay things there, but I really it's it's the big names there of Maynard and Howell and Quain. I think Isaac Quain is actually one of the more underrated players in the competition. I think he's a really, really good player and um, cuts you up both ways defensively. He's really tight on his man, but also really burst and can run off you. So he's one to look at. We might want to put some defensive work into in terms of the centre line there, you've got Josh Dacos and Pat Lipinski on the wings, Tom Mitchell in the centre, and then we've got uh, Dusty Cameron in the right, Jack Howie uh, on ball. So plenty of uh, the likes of, you know, Howie and, um, and Evan Mitchell is pretty hard in an under player. And then um, some class on the wings. Josh Dacos had a good year. It's been well documented in the media. Um, so, yeah, a bit of, bit of stopping to do there. We've thankfully got a decent lineup in the midfield, or so we thought. Um, I guess through through the names that we've got, we're definitely capable on on our day of going toe to toe with these guys. So it's going to be a good challenge to, to end the year for the for the midfield brigade. Uh, we got the Ducker, Jack Inovan, uh, Daniel McStay, Ash Johnson, and then Jamie Elliott, Brody Mychek, and, and Bobby Hill. There, Elliott is just. The Essendon killer, he thrives playing against us. He's a very good player. And if it wasn't for injuries over the course of his career, I think people would be talking about Jamie Elliott, like the way we talk about Toby Green. Uh, I think he's an absolute star. Uh, My check is just a competitor, has a lot of heart. Ash Johnson's a really difficult matchup. And I think Bobby Hill's going to cut us up with his pace and his class. Yeah, I'm not ashamed to say. I... I really dislike Jack Univan and Jamie Elliott, so I really hope that we always beat them <laughs> in this game and keep them quiet because it'll it'll hurt me to see them go well. Um, and then interchange benching, you've got John Noble, uh, Scott Pendlebury, Taylor Adams, still side bottom, and the list of the sub as Will Hoskin Elliott. Um, could be last week they had Mason Cox as a sub, who is another uh, unlikable person. But um, but uh, yeah, they've got they've got a bit of depth, obviously, still even with their injuries. So I guess we'll just. We'll just freestyle a few key matchups um, that we're thinking. Let's start with um, 
Brody Minacek, you mentioned, uh, obviously is a bit of a competitor down there. I think Jaden Laverty might be a good matchup. Strength-wise, can go with him. Um, Minacek's a bit of an old-school kind of style forward, and Jaden Laverty's a bit of an old-school style defender. So uh, that might be good, a good head-to-head battle, uh, that one there. Jeremy Howe has been playing a little bit of forward as well. They've been sort of rotating him forward, back, forward, back. So um, if Howe plays forward... Would have been nice to have someone like a Ridley down there, but we don't. So you're probably you're probably going to lean on a BZT or a uh, or a Nick Cox, I guess, if he, if Howe ends up forward. Yeah, I don't mind. I don't mind that. There, I think Redman could go to him there, but I think Redman's a bit lax defensively. Howe's quite a dangerous player. Howe's very much above the shoulders. His markings, his standout weapon. So maybe that's a job for Nick Cox. Um, I'd. I want to see more Kane Baldwin, right? So I bring Baldwin in and play Baldwin. That's what I would look to do. Daniel McStay, it's hard to tell. I think if, was, if they just went with my check and McStay, I think Laverde BZT will be the way they'll go. If they do flick him how forward, what do we do? Do we do Josh Kelly play a taller player? But yeah, it's interesting. I think how and um, Howe and Ash Johnson are those are really difficult matchups as kind of those third and fourth forwards. So it's interesting to see what happens if both play forward. Perfect opportunity, perhaps, to bring um, Kane Baldwin back into the side. There's there's some matchups there that you could get Kane to play on and and uh, free up the likes of like you said a Redmond or someone like that as well. So um, if we look through their midfield, we've got Pendlebury here, we've got Degoe, we've got Jack Crisp. Um, you know, there's a there's a few there, so I guess Pendlebury is is hard to stop, and and he's been good for a long time and cut us up on many occasions. And um, Jordan Degoe, bit of a bigger size, uh, but would have normally said would have been great to see Jack Stringer match up on him, you know, physically. But I think Jack's not going to be fit, so um, I guess probably need to send Will Setterfield would be a good one, I think, for for Jordan Degoe. I think that'd be a great matchup, or even on a Scott Pendlebury. I think Will offers. Great defensive game, uh, plus can win you some clearances at the same time. So I'd really like to see Will Setterfield come back into the side uh, for one of those guys. Yeah. Um, Hobbs, Perkins, Caldwell, Sardis, uh, Durham. That's I'd like to see those guys get a run in the midfield. Really have a, have a really young midfield this week. See what they've got. So this is your opportunity to stamp your mark for a spot in the best 18 next year. Uh, Sam Durham on a Scott Pendery, if Pendery plays outside, I think it's not a bad idea. Um, you know, with Taylor Adams and Tom Mitchell, Hobbsy, you know, that's a good matchup for him there. Sardis, do you send Sardis to someone as an education? That's probably going to be maybe a Josh Dacos on a wing. You know, just just expose some younger players and say, you are now the core of this side going forward. Figure it out. You know, we'll, we'll have the senior guys there to help you and shape you there. But really, you know, with Merritt's the only one of those, our midfield sign long term. Parish, who knows what's happening there, right? Really, it should be, okay, for one game only, we've got nothing to lose. You're the core, right? Have a crack. And then, then if we play Nick Bryan as well, it'll be a real, really good chance for these guys to say, we're giving you exposure of what it's going to be like for you to work hard in pre-season 
and this is what the side is going to be going forward. It's now on you to, to get yourself a game and carry us forward. That's the way I'd do it. Difficult matchup here, Braden Maynard. I, I, as much as I hate Collingwood, I'd love to have a Braden Maynard in the side. Someone who plays that way with that amount of you know heart and emotion. I think it's something we really lack. Um, you know, we've got you know Merritt sort of plays with his heart on his sleeve a little bit, maybe to a lesser extent. Um, you know, Mason Redmond or something. Um, you know, Lav a little bit at times, but I think that that's a different level to what Braden Maynard's playing at. He will one hundred percent. I can almost. B fly McCray now. He'll 100% go to Cole Langford, right? But me putting my coach's hat on, debut the boy, Paddy Voss. Get Big Vossy in, right? Maynard wants to be his tough guy stuff. Just send Vossy at him. Say, mate, have a crack, compete, right? Bash into him, right? Do whatever you can to, you know, bring the ball to ground, help your teammates, you know, when he goes to Langford, you know, two on one, kind of get the mismatch. You know, what what have we got to lose, Mark? <laughs> really, we've got to lose. We we've got to make mass changes. You can't lose by the fifth biggest margin in the history of a club has been around for 151 years and not make mass changes. So, give everyone a crack and say you want a contract for next year. This is your opportunity to show us why and then let them go. Which probably brings us to, I guess, potential changes. I think after a game of the nature that happened against GWS, I think you can't you can't ignore that. You can't obviously you can't drop everyone, but you do need to make some examples and you do need to give others an opportunity because if, if that's the level that everyone's playing at, you need to provide opportunities to others to see what they can do. And and I'm not talking about, you know, the sacrificial lambs here. Don't don't drop a giant Menzi. Don't don't do that. You know, don't don't go after those sort of guys. Um, but I think it would be good to see some guys come in. Um, you just mentioned Pat Voss. Perfect opportunity for him to come in big stage. I feel like he'd really get around that. And if you gave him a role similar to what you just described, you know, this guy's physical. We need you to to be that guy for us and and come in and do that. You know, that's all the expectation is. You don't need to kick four. You don't need to kick three. You don't even need to kick one. You just need to do a job. I mentioned Kane Baldwin. You know, there's some there's some guys like McStay and and uh, Meyer check down there that might need some controlling, and maybe that's a good opportunity for him to just play your man. Doesn't matter if you get ten touches, twenty touches, one touch, just take your man out of the game. So, Baldwin, Voss, I think Brian. We saw Draper, you know, struggle in the ruck. I think you've got to give Phillips his last game, and I think team him up with Brian. Brian and Phillips haven't really been able to play together, and I feel like Phillips is a really good mentor. So give him two hours of of Andy Phillips on the way out and, and let him learn something there, and don't just have him on the ground for thirty percent of the game time. Actually, give him give him a go and, and let him play with Andy Phillips and have them both on the ground at the same time, and he can say, "Hey, I'm going to rest forward. You go in there and watch for this or whatever." Like there's there's some real opportunities still there to be gained, you know, win, lose or draw for this game. Uh, with some of those players, so we've just listed we've just listed three players, and there's there's others there that we have on the list that are potential ins as well. But you need you need to shake it up a little bit. You need to do something after a big loss like that. Rat Montgomery been playing good football at VFL all year. Give him a crack. We talked about Ash Johnson being a difficult matchup. We talked about maybe Jeremy Howe playing forward as well. He's a guy Montgomery's good overhead, medium sized defender. Give him a crack. You know. Mankara, 
you know, he's way way too early. But as a sub, bring him on, a bit of spark, see what he can do. If he does nothing, well, then it doesn't really matter, but at least he's learned. You know, Davey, same. I think he's he's probably had a number of opportunities at the AFL level. So here's one. Is this a tipper? Potentially a farewell game. You know, get him in. He hasn't played since the early half of the year. He was the spark. He was pretty much the reason we won in round one against against Hawthorne there. And finally, I, I just want to mention Alistair Lord, right? He's been at VFL level for both his years at the club. I think he's probably struggling, if I'm honest, to get a contract for next year. But he technically has one career game. And that was the game against Hawthorne last year where he sat on the bench and didn't play as the sub. So I would like to see him play and him to actually start. But the pure fact is I don't want to see a bloke come out of the system and leave the Essendon Football Club registering one career game but not actually having played. I think that's pretty poor. I understand he was brought in, you know, it was exceptional circumstances on the time. We needed a sub with all the illness that went through the club, but we talked about it last year with Tex Wanganeen debuting as a sub. I think that's average. You shouldn't make a debutante uh, as a sub. And especially in this case, I don't think you can give a bloke a career and have him technically have a game but not actually have played. I think that's poor and we've got to do something to fix that. 100% agree. I think it's something that uh, would be a good sign of the club taking a step in the right direction um, and having some human aspect, I guess, and, and acknowledging um, those sort of things. So I guess that, that brings us to the end of this episode. It's going to be tough. Um, it's we're playing against the top of the ladder side and there, you know, but I think there's, there's a real opportunity here. We obviously hate Collingwood. It's our home game at the G Friday night, all the attention on us. Can we bounce back? Also, Collingwood haven't been in fantastic form in the lead-up to finals. They've had some injuries. I think they've lost three out of the last four games from memory. Uh, we could potentially make it four out of five, given the Collie Wobbles on the way in. And it, at the moment, if you lose to us on your way into finals, you're not looking too good. So um, there's a real opportunity here to try and to try and really shake a rival and um, get them on their knees before they go into into September and um, and try and do that. So there's there's still opportunities to be found in this and, and things to galvanise a group. Uh, I agree 100%. Take pride in your performance. Take pride in the jumper. You know, we hear Andy McGrath in the post-game once again having a video to members saying how disappointed the players are and how they're hurting. But I think we've said this many times. We've heard it all before. The message is hollow. It's meaningless. Go out there and do it. Show that you're hurting. Show that you want to rectify it. Don't no more of these words there. We've got a good cause there with the with the seatbelt there on the jumper. You know, obviously dates back to to David Hill when he was at the club and the, and, the, and the personal circumstance he found himself with with a young man. So, if you've got a cause to play for, you've got a supporter base to play for. You've got the opportunity to upset a fierce rival's run into finals and, you know, what what more can you more can you want? Theoretically got a chance to make finals, still it's the old mathematically still possible. So if you want to make up for that and, you know, belt them by the hundred and sixty points or whatever it is that we need to hopefully give ourselves a crack, do that. You know, whatever you need to do. Um yeah, just just have a go. Go the dons. Go bombers. <laughs>